I'm ready. Are you sure? No. <laughs> I'm terrified. What are you getting? Well, I'm getting a bounce. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lightness within it as well. Interesting. Yeah. Hold you know, on, honey, it's a very yeah. tricky color, and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Terry and uh, I worship an unconventional deity, the power of another dimension. Now, you're not going to read about this dimension in a book or in a magazine or uh, in a newspaper uh, because it doesn't exist anywhere except in my own mind. Hello, this is the um, strange special edition of the David Allen Show. Um, <laughs> where do we have some some replay going on? Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, the illustrious David has decided to abandon ship this week, um, but that's all right by me <laughs> because filling his spot. <laughs> is me <laughs> is the me. illustrious me i don't know what name you want to go by but <laughs> um calvin said go by ann really <laughs> excellent so ann it is all right the david ann alan and ann show oh no it's got to be ann and alan sounds oh, better um, an alan and i like top billing <laughs> <laughs> whatever typically this show we go through the things of the day news of the week that has piqued our interest or everything else so i saw this today on the interweb or maybe it was yesterday the london mayor who is um a muslim okay apparently in the europe they have a lot of public transportation advertisements okay and he is banning advertisements showing scantily clad Women, because they allegedly promote confidence issues. Okay. <laughs> Sadiq Khan announced on the Mayor of London website, he will be prohibiting advertisements that could pressure women to, quote, conform to unhealthy or unrealistic body images on the transport of London starting next month. Well, if that's the thing you're going to go after... I think maybe we should start with all media. <laughs> <laughs> Just on the tube. No, well, or, or the bus. You know, I'm, that sounds good. He says, as the father of two teenage girls, I am extremely concerned about this kind of advertising, which can demean people, particularly women, yeah. and make them ashamed of their bodies. It is high time it came to an end. Okay. Nobody should feel pre pressurized. While they travel on the tube or bus into unrealistic expectations surrounding their bodies. And I want to send a clear message to the advertising industry about this. That's until they lose all that revenue. And then I bet he changes his tune. Mm. Well, I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> okay. I don't know that I would want to see half naked women or in Europe, mostly naked women on the, on the tube. The mayor's ban on body shaming advertisements comes after Protein World's Are You Beach Body Ready campaign sparked backlash and led to an investigation by the Advertising Standards Authority. Now, I don't like the fact that they have that, but that's Europe, so I guess England can do what they want. 
Protein World's advertisements on the London Underground outraged feminists. A petition to remove the advertisements received over 71,000 signatures while protests were thrown featuring heavy women to promote body positivity. Is that the best alternative? Is to parade a bunch of large women about? I mean, is, is that the goal? Does that does that prove any point? No, but when you see somebody who looks more like you, you are more likely to identify with it and then not feel bad about yourself. Yeah. Okay. I, I remember the first time I saw a plus-size woman on a, in a magazine. And I thought, oh, she's beautiful. I look just like her. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it was it was nice. It was nice to have something or someone. But do you have to put out? I mean, the the sentiment here is that it becomes you need to put the exact opposite of the typical model out, and that would tend to be someone that's p- potentially overweight considerably. Does that do anything to help anyone's body positivity? It might. I think it's very, very or much Or does it just bring ridicule no, more well, than anything? It, it'll bring that too. I mean, people are Special. oftentimes very um, mean-spirited. Ooh. But it might. It might be nice for somebody to identify with, with somebody identify. who's more their size or shape and... But I think it's a band-aid. I mean, there's so many root causes that it, putting a picture up that maybe looks like you is not going to solve all your problems. Hmm. You're all of a sudden not going to feel bad about your body. I mean, <laughs> Are you beach body ready? If I see a plus-size woman in a bathing suit, I'm not all of a sudden going to be like, Yeah, I'm going to go yes, put a bathing suit on. <laughs> I will feel comfortable in the, in the dressing room with the fluorescent lights and... Or willing to wander about in public yeah, in, no. in a bikini. No, no. So, so it doesn't no, work. No. I, what's the point? Just ban it altogether so maybe Ocon is correct? I don't know that there's an answer that's simple. Does this go down to government shouldn't mandate morality? Well, I like the idea of freedom of speech and all of that. So freedom of press, freedom of... Expression. Expression. I mean, once you start, I don't know. But I also like modesty, and I think it's nice when you can advertise without being so naked. And who are the ad- who are the adverts for, really? The naked ones are for the men. Okay, so I, then I would I would assume. So what does it? Does it doesn't it do? inspire me to buy a bathing suit <laughs> to see a half naked woman in a tiny little bikini. But does it do anything for women? I mean. Are, by putting out plus size, let's call them okay. women in advertisements, okay. does that prove, does that help women feel better? Or does it just make men not want to look at the ad more than the skinny, scantily clad women? Because if, if it's for the men, then they either need to not advertise to men <laughs> or, I don't know. I don't know either. It really all comes down to money. Well, yeah. But advertising is lies and money. So should government get involved at all in advertising? I don't know. I mean, it's not like having someone that's 
a size negative two in a bathing suit, that doesn't harm anyone, does it? If you're a size negative two and you're six feet tall, you might might be well, harmful <laughs> to yourself. No, they came in um, and regulated or tried to encourage models to be less starving. Didn't Paris ban they, in the fashion they like fashion have. shows? They yeah. banned certain, yet have so much body mass or whatever, which is just silly. More than just skin on your bones. <laughs> I feel bad for those women who who are driven in that industry to have to fit that mold. You know, they choose an industry, and I think sometimes the industry then becomes more than they can handle. Then they become this waif of a woman, and they can't. And once you get that skinny, it's hard to see yourself with any fat on your bones because then you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm huge, even though you're you're not. Oh, but shouldn't that be championed nowadays? (laughs) Shouldn't we celebrate that? What? Well, that delusion. No. It's Why? called anorexia. Right. Is it healthy? No. No. But it's a mental condition, no? Are we going there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you don't go there. Okay, we can go there. <laughs> if someone can have a mental condition that tells them that they are a different gender than they physically are, that's it's in the DSM-5, in the stinking manual that gives the doctoral world, the medical world, its definitions of diseases and disorders. The, the DSM-5? DSM is the um, diagnostics and, what is it, something manual. Okay. The fifth version of it is the most current, I believe. Oh. And it's a... To have that mentality that you are a different gender is called gender dysphoria. It's a mental condition. So if anorexia is the same thing, if we are now like championing, championing, is that a word? Mm -hmm. Celebrating that one mental condition that if you have the thought that you uh, are a different gender, then you should be applauded and celebrated and and, uh, affirmed in that then how can we not do that same thing with other similar mental conditions where I think something that isn't true is? Well, I think it comes from a place of not wanting to hurt people's feelings. And it comes from a place of compassion. I don't think that the, that the, the goal is to then cause all of these horrible things in this, you know, in people who, who are confused or who do believe that they're a different gender. I think if you, if you have a sibling or a mother or a friend who is considering or struggling with or dealing with this kind of situation where they feel like they're a different gender, you want to champion your friends. You want to encourage them to, to be happy. And I think it all comes from wanting people to be happy and to be content with who they are. So I don't think it comes from this like, intentional devious motive from the layperson. I don't know about the psychiatry fields or whatever, but if I had a friend who was struggling with something and didn't, you know, didn't know who she was or where she was going with something, you know, I think your initial emotion attached to that is what can I do to make this person feel better? How can I make them happy? How can I encourage them? 
so I think that we don't initially start out with like, yes, let's make it wonderful for everyone to be confused about their gender. <laughs> and then we'll champion it in the media. And then everyone will be wrong who doesn't agree with me. I mean, it, it's, yeah. That's where it's at, though. Now. Yeah, it, it got there. And that's unfortunate. I don't know that it started as a way to be horrible. Well, I, I think it started as a way to change society. Maybe. And to change um, the moral makeup of our country. If someone has a disorder, do you make them better or do you make them feel better? If they're dying, hospice makes you feel better as you die. Yeah. But that is because there's no other hope. There's no further thing you can do to make you better. Right. But if people are depressed, they get depression medication to make them feel better and to make them normal again, to mm -hmm. make their bodies act normal but if you even dream of saying that regarding someone that has the gen the gender dysphoria then you how dare you because this is who they are this is this is how they've been made right this is how god made them i mean i just had a pastor i read a pastor's quote the other day that this is who they are and i it it's it's difficult to to agree with that and to find that anywhere. Well, no. In it's, truth. It's not, it's not biblical. But I think you want it to be. I think people want so badly for it to be okay. Because then it makes it okay and it makes it not confusing or scary. or feel. I think people feel bad that they feel like they're judging other people and that they're saying it's wrong because it's this huge taboo now to say that you disagree with anyone. On just about anything, unless, everything, unless yeah. you are the one on that side and people don't agree with you. And then it's okay to call them out as bigots and hatred and haters and racists. And so it, it's a one-sided, it's a one-sided fight. It's kind of become that, hasn't mm -hmm. it? So I, I guess back to my original point is why can't we then come alongside and affirm these people, these models who have this mental thing in their head that says they are not skinny enough and they need to get skinnier. Who are we to say that they can't do that, that they shouldn't do that? And who are we to take away their jobs by banning them from a fashion show? I mean, they get paid a lot of money, some of these people. Yeah. And some probably get abused, and that's not right. That's a different story, though. Yeah, I don't think that's the whole, though. Yeah, I don't know. I just think we... If we hold that that one disorder is acceptable and good and right, the other is still needs to be fixed. Right. Because truth is colorblind. I think. <laughs> I think it's... Truth is always true, whether we want it to be It is not. black and white, but we are in a very gray world, so it's hard to navigate that sometimes. Well, that's true. What else are we can talk about tonight? PETA. Oh, good. <laughs> so hoping that we could talk about PETA. Ingrid Newkirk uh, is the what is she? 
Did she run PETA? She might be the founder. Apparently her will, this is at PETA.org. She died? Oh, no. Oh. This is from her will. As someone who has dedicated a part of my life to the alleviation of animal suffering in various parts of the world, it is my wish that upon my death my body be used to further that same goal. So I don't know if she's going to feed herself to these animals, but it is with this purpose in mind that I make the following directions and designations relating to the disposition of my final remains. I make these directions and designations after thorough consideration and pursuant to my firm belief in the purpose for which they are made. Number one. Upon my death, it is my wish that my body be used in a manner that draws attention to needless animal suffering and exploitation. To accomplish this, I direct that my body be donated to people for the ethical treatment of animals, 501 Front Street, Norfolk, Virginia, 23510, to be used in whatever manner it chooses in order to accomplish the specified purpose, with the hope that most of my body will be put to use in the U.S., with parts also dispatched to awaken the public consciousness of governments and citizens in the United Kingdom, where I was born, in India, my beloved childhood home, and in Canada, Germany, and France. Number two. What do you do with parts of a body <laughs> when you're... <laughs> and two has uh, four or five parts so far. Oh. Uh, while the final decision as to the use of my body remains with PETA, I make the following suggested directions. A. That the meat, in quotes, of my body, or a portion thereof, be used for a human barbecue to remind the world that the meat of a corpse is all flesh, regardless of whether it comes from a human being or another animal, and that flesh foods are not needed. Oh, that's gross. B, that my skin, or a portion thereof, be removed and made into leather products, such as purses, to remind the world that human skin and the skin of other animals is the same, and that neither is, quote, fabric nor needed, and that some skin be tacked up outside the Indian leather fair each year to serve as a reminder of the government's need to abate the suffering of Indian bullocks, who, after a life of extreme and involuntary servitude, as I have seen firsthand, are exported all over the world in this form. That'd be a cow. Right. Uh, has she not heard of the Body World Works? Body Works? Body Worlds exhibit? Where they actually have human skin and human remains on display? That should be there. Maybe they're not barbecued. No, it's a little different than a barbecue. C. That in remembrance of the elephant foot umbrella, no, in remembrance of the elephant foot umbrella stands and tiger rugs I saw as a child offered for sale by merchants at Cannot Place in Delhi, my feet be removed and umbrella stands and other ornamentation be made from them as a reminder of the depravity of killing innocent animals such as elephants in order that we might use their body parts for household items and decorations. This lady's crazy. D, that one of my eyes be removed, mounted, and delivered to the administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency as a reminder that PETA will continue to be watching the agency until it stops poisoning and torturing animals in useless and cruel experiments that the other is to be used as PETA sees fit. Kind of sounds like a scary movie. I know. Body part showing up on doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> the mafia i don't want an eyeball to show up on my doorstep <laughs> we're watching you that's crazy <laughs> e 
that my pointing finger be delivered to Kenneth Feld, owner of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, oh or to a circus museum to stand as the quote greatest accusation on earth, on behalf of the countless elephants, like lions, tigers, bears, and other animals who have been kidnapped from their families and removed from their homelands in India, Thailand, Africa, and South America, and deprived of all that is natural and pleasant to them, abused and forced into involuntary servitude for the sake of cheap entertainment. That's not too cheap to go to a circus. Sorry. (laughs) F. That my liver be vacuum-packed and shipped in whole or in part to France to there be used in a public appeal to persuade shoppers not to support the vile practice of force-feeding geese and ducks for foie gras. Mm. G. This, uh, this keeps going. Okay. That one of my ears be removed, mounted, and sent to the Canadian Parliament to assist them in hearing, for the first time, perhaps, the screams of the seals, bears, raccoons, foxes, and minks, bludgeoned, trapped, sometimes skinned alive for their pelts. That the other ear be removed, preserved, and displayed outside the Dionar Abattoir in Mumbai to remind all who do business there that the screams of the cattle who are slaughtered within its walls are heard round the world. H. That one of my thumbs be removed, mounted upward on a plaque, and sent to the person or institution that in the year of my death, or thereabouts, PETA decides has done the most to promote alternatives to the use and abuse of animals in any area of their exploitation. <laughs> it's a thumbs up. Good job. That'd be so sick. That's, that's what you funny. want. Some human thumb hanging on your wall. Oh, gross. Just make a bronze duplicate. <laughs> no. <laughs> I. Okay, but she's not dead. No, this is her living will, apparently. Why? Why is it? <laughs> why are we reading it now? It's on P. They put it out on PETA. It's a feature on PETA.org. That's for, uh, I didn't know you read wills before people died. Well, when it's bullcrap, maybe you do. <laughs> <laughs> that one of my thumbs be mounted in a downward position and sent to the person or institution that in the year of my death or thereabouts has gone against the changing tide of societal opinion and frightened and hurt animals in some egregious manner. You get a thumbs down. Aww. J. That a little part of my heart be buried near the racetrack at Hockenheim, probably, preferably near the Ferrari pits, where Michael Schumacher raced in and won the German Grand Prix. Because she likes him? That's funny. Kay. I didn't expect that one. That anything else be done with my body that PETA believes will serve to draw attention to and so abate the plight of exploited animals. Now, I presume this could be difficult. To have to find somebody that would do this. Well, no, this is and a there's publicity. Pro- there's stunt. probably some laws broken by no, shipping you can't body ship parts body to people. Parts to people. That's like the movie Seven. Number three. Oh, there's oh. This was we number five. <laughs> As a resident of Virginia and pursuant to Virginia law, including five four dot one two eight two five of the Virginia Code, I designate PETA as the person who shall make arrangements for carrying out the directions contained in this document for the disposition of my remains upon my death. If at any time PETA is unable or unwilling to carry these out, I designate in the alternative Daniel Matthews as the individual who shall make arrangements for carrying out the directions contained in this document for the disposition of my remains upon my death. Who is that? Yep. If Daniel Matthews is unable to or, or unwilling to carry out these directions as required, I authorize either of the two listed persons in this paragraph 
to designate a third party to make arrangements. So basically anyone. Four. While I prefer that my directions be first executed in the U.S., I also direct that parts of my body be transported to the U.K., of which I am also a citizen, and to India, my beloved spiritual home, to be executed there. If my directions cannot be executed in any of these countries, I authorize the transport of my remains to any location where my disposition directions, in whole or in part, may be lawfully executed. Well, at least you covered that. The moon. It's probably a good spot. Five, I authorize the person carrying out these directions to deviate from them in any manner he or she deems appropriate to further the purpose expressed herein. If any provision or provisions of this document shall be held to be invalid, illegal, unenforceable, or in conflict with the law or any jurisdiction, the validity, legal, blah, blah, blah. So here's my thought. Since this lady has all these things, um, why doesn't she just allow herself to be put through the ringer that these animals do already? If that's her point, why should she wait till she dies first? These animals didn't. If she really believes that she wants to make a point, she should let herself be slaughtered like the animals. That's horrible. Thing I know to it's say. a. Ho- I know, but her. She's horrible. That's no, crazy. No, she's just promoting her cause. This is a big publicity. I know it's a publicity stunt, but, but it's garbage. Well, that's what <laughs> you got to do. Something shocking to get your cause. The Impressed. head, the top banner on PETA.org says, Animals are not ours to eat, wear, experiment on, use for entertainment, or abuse in any other way. Well, I do I not think... promote animal abuse. Oh, but right. I also believe that animals are not equal to people. Right. They don't have a soul. But in, didn't God tell Adam and Eve to lord over the animals? Yes. Okay. They are ours then. Yeah. So she's wrong. I think we haven't been great stewards of them, but yes. <laughs> well, maybe I think we that have. She's probably gone a little farther in her attempt. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This is the David Allen Show special edition with Anne. Woo. With Anne. I'm awesome. <laughs> yes, yes.
is the David Allen Show, special edition. DavidAllenShow.com. On Facebook, it's David Allen Show. On iTunes, David Allen Show. <laughs> I think if you're on a lame old Samsung phone, you can find us on the Google Play Store. David Allen Show. David Allen Show. <laughs> the David Allen Show. A strange. How many times do you have to say it for people to remember it? Three in a row? A lot. <laughs> David Allen Show. Do, do, do. Is it the what? David Allen Show or well, just? Uh, well, DavidAllenShow.com. There's no the because that's ridiculous. But hold on, you ready? So ridiculous. You're gonna say it for us. You ready? I'm ready. To go. DavidAllenShow.com. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Monday, Monday, Monday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would like to talk about marriage. Ooh. Since, can I say that we're married? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Since we are married, I thought it would be interesting to discuss marriage. Ooh. How do you feel about that? I'm game. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with divorce because it's depressing, and that's kind of what we talk about on this show, is depressing <laughs> oh, things in the news. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> When I say we, I mean you and David. Whatever. Because <laughs> you listen so often. <laughs> yeah, I heard you for a second, but then turned it off. Well, I'm putting your children to bed. I know. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> all right. Marriage. They're also good for children. Growing up in a happy home protects children from mental, physical, educational, and social problems. However... About 40 to 50% of married couples in the United States divorce. The divorce rate for subsequent marriages is even higher. That is adapted from the Encyclopedia of Psychology. Also, I, I have been having conversations about living together before you're married. And so I wanted to read a quote on that. On average... Researchers concluded that couples who lived together before they tied the knot saw a 33% higher rate of divorce than those who waited to live together until after they were married. That's the science of cohabitation. I found that very interesting. That if you play the game first, it doesn't, might, might not work out when you really play it? Well, it might not work out, it seems, if you, well, if if you really, don't. Right. You got a 50-50 <clears throat> chance. It is interesting. I saw first marriages, 45 to 50% end in divorce. Mm -hmm. Second marriages, 60, 60 to 67% end in divorce. And third, 70 to 73% end in divorce. So why bother getting remarried? And if, you did, if the first one didn't work out, it's a good well, chance the second one's not going to work out. I kind of wonder about that. And I wonder about the reasons people divorce. And I think part of it is you you get fed up with your partner or you, you know, this is not including dangerous situations, but you know, you get irritated, you get fed up, you stop communicating, you stop talking. You then say that you have fallen out of love and you are different people and you have moved on. But you know, people are people and you're going to marry another person who will then be a flawed person. <laughs> you may fall out of love with also. And it's hard to, admit but you are a flawed person and so then you have another relationship with two flawed, flawed people yeah. and if you haven't decided at the beginning that you're going to work through the flaws and come out 
stronger from them, then yes, I, I, I understand why people are like, ugh, I just, I can't handle this, or I don't want to deal with this, or it's too hard, or... I think the other thing with marriage is we have failed the children and the young adults because we have not educated them as to what marriage is. So they don't even know what it should look like. Right. So Whose we have this huge generation of of people who have divorced. Mm-hmm. And so we have this large generation of children who have grown up in split homes and a lot of times then they don't see their parents resolving problems and working through things and seeing how they, you can come out stronger and better once you have worked through things. And so then they go into a marriage thinking, well, it doesn't work. I can always leave. And so there's this kind of irreverence around marriage now. And, and it's, you know, we do more research on the cars we buy than the people we marry. It seems. Well, I think people look at their marriage like they're buying a car. Interesting. And that, that's why they have to try the game. That's why they have to live together to make sure it's all going to work. And I've had people tell me that, well, you wouldn't buy a car before you try it out, would you? <laughs> and my answer to that is, yes, I, w- I wouldn't buy a car. Because in five years, I'm getting a new one. And it's going to fit my lifestyle right now. It's not going to grow with me. It's not going to adjust with me. It's for a moment. And then I will need something else when I outgrow it. You don't do that with a wife or a husband. You, you get married and then you make it work. You grow together. Because when you get married, you become something else. Mm-hmm. At church last week, the sermon was one plus one equals one. <laughs> and it's, it's exactly right. Because when two people come together, they become something else. They are no longer two separate people. They're, yeah, they're people with personalities, but they become right. one unit when you do it right and you have God in the mix. So yes, if, yeah. you, if you're looking at your spouse as a commodity, something that you need to make you feel good right now and you can be snappy, you can kind of race, you can go fast, yeah, try it out. Do the best you can. Because when you change, it's not going to change with you. Or at least that's not the plan. So this idea that we got to make sure everything works before we, tr- before we, we tie the knot. we got to make sure it all works and we're compatible in every way. No. You, you become compatible. Yeah. I think. That's my two cents. It is interesting, though, if you go to divorcestatistics.org. The, they break down the ages, age at marriage for those who divorce in America. Oh, what is it? The most even, there are two um, age ranges that have the most consistent between men and women percentage. Mm. 20 to 24, if both men and women are between 20 and 24, uh, they are 36, uh, 36 to 38%. Divorce getting divorced, rate. yep. Okay. Uh, if they are 35 to 39 years old, they are 5 or 6%. Oh, wow. So it seems like that's the best age. We're <laughs> 35. in it, honey. We're in it. <laughs> we got married 10 years ago. Oh, years not ago. when you're currently. Right, okay, that's when you when get, you get married. married. Correct, okay. Yep. 
Well, then, yeah, you've gone through all of that. I don't know who I am. Now I do know who I am. I don't know what I want to be. When you're in your late 30s, you're like, here I am. (laughs) This is it. Take it or leave it. I have wrinkles already. I'm a little bit, you know. But only if you uh, don't follow the advice of the advertisers and get the beach body. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Couples with children, 40% divorce rate. Couples without, 66. So at least there's that. I mean, there's a little bit more if you have well, kids. You are people kinda... staying together for the children? I would I would Which assume... isn't a bad reason. I mean, if that's if that's the reason you need. No, I just, I just wish we as a society would educate people on what marriage could look like or things to look for in a spouse or how to be a good spouse. How to love selflessly, how to encourage your spouse, how to um, survive the first years of having children and not pulling your hair out and still making time for each other. And that it's okay to love your spouse and to put your spouse first before your children. And it's, um, I think there are so many things that people just don't know. They don't know that they don't know. So it would be really amazing to have information and um, education from people who have been through it, who who know, and and a biblical perspective too. And I, I wish more pastors would make this a priority. Not to just like like to to you, like um, facilitate those yeah, groups or yeah or do it themselves. Well, either one. Or encourage parents to talk about marriage with their children. And not when they're 25 and going and, and, have, and, and are engaged <laughs> and living together and be like, let's talk about what you should right. look for in a spouse. No, I think, you know, I talked to our nine-year-old about marriage. We talk about dating and marriage and um, when would be an appropriate time to have a girlfriend and why do we have girlfriends and... Um, why do we get married and how many kids can you have when you get married? And <laughs> very, you know, there are a lot of awkward conversations that come up and uh, you just kind of have to go with it. But I think that the the more you talk to your children about it, the more they're going to be willing to talk to you about it. And then you're not going to be this this parent who's just hoping that they don't choose somebody really awful for them. You know, I've I read a I read a, a story about a mom who every time she folds her little kids' laundry, she prays for their spouse. Hmm. I know that your mom was praying for someone who you were going to marry at some point, and you no, always that's kind a good of, thing. You always kind of, <laughs> it is. I always kind of you always kind of wonder, like who who was praying for me? Who was, you know, how did I get to this spot? Um, but you know that God had a hand in, in how we met mm-hmm. and our story and um, how I met God. So I don't know. I think um, based on my life experience, I went into my adult years having no idea. I mean, having an idea. I had a wonderful dad. Um, I had wonderful parent. I have wonderful parents. But the But I don't know that we discussed in specifics like these are things that would be good to look for in a husband these are things that 
maybe would be a problem. You know, if you don't always go for the most handsome guy in the bunch and not, you know, with the guy without the personality. Like handsome is great and you know, my husband is very handsome. I'm not well saying done. I didn't I didn't marry handsome, <laughs> but he has more than good looks. He has all of the personality and Impressive. the character. And he's so modest and humble. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I love you, darling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there has to be more than, I'm going to marry the tall, dark, handsome one. The quarterback? The quarterback. Oh, that's in the movies. But... But that's what's that being is, shoved what down the watch. throat of all of our kids in school, yeah. And it's fine to watch those movies if you also are teaching your kids that, you know, there's more to life than these few things. You know, does this man share your values? If you don't share values, what are your kids going to believe? Who, how, are, how will you teach your kids? If you marry someone who is divorced with children... And they have a they have a, a mom or a dad that is, you know, there's a divorce situation. You then are a part of this family where you have another person calling the shots for not only your your spouse's kids, but when you have kids with them, there is an influence there too. So you have to really consider all of these things, and I don't think people do. No, it's not encouraged. It's encouraged to try it out. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work, you're fine. You just <clears throat> move on. But you're Trade not, up. I know, but that's it. what our society says. It can, it can really break you and it can really harm you. And I don't know that that is talked about. No. I would agree with that. So there's my two cents. I think the whole idea of a the wedding ceremony is the, the picture is exactly what it should be. And we have a little girl and it's my job as her dad to protect her, to guard her, to give her the love and affection she needs until she gets married. And that could be, I don't know, she could be 25 or 30. I don't know. But up to that point, it's my job to give her those things. Mm. And if I don't, she will. And I mean, rightly so. That's how it's supposed to work. We'll go find it somewhere else. Right. And that's the beauty of the whole dad walking down the aisle. Because for the first years of this little girl's life, it's been his job. Pirates of the Caribbean when Davy Jones' heart is in the chest. (laughs) <laughs> that's the idea, I think. It's kind of the it's kind of a gruesome description, but that's <laughs> that's a a version of what I kind of see. It's my job to protect that and make sure it's safe. Right. And then when you go down the aisle, this person, this boy <laughs> has gained my trust and um approval, I guess. To, to entrust that thing that's so precious to him. Do you think him. you can do that? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We'll see. So I, I think it's so important. The problem that I find in, in this our town even is the girls aren't being taught that their dad has, a, has an opinion or should have an opinion. And they're not being taught to listen to that opinion. And that 
maybe your parents know better than you what you need. And that together you can make a great choice. But if you go off and have no say or involve them none, the chance of that very eloquent. decision being best right. is hard, is, is worse. Right. And so I, I told. Well, you involved your parents in your, your decision to marry me. Uh, yeah. Didn't you? That was one of my criteria. Mm. <laughs> <Phew>. No. <laughs> but I figure if it was, if you were what I thought, then they would be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out. <laughs> but there were there was a group of high school girls in last year, or last year, year and a half ago, something. Okay. And they were standing around the counter downstairs and just had a, was able, the door opened up to talk about the value of their dad in their life. And it was crazy because all four of them, these are like high school seniors, were just dumbstruck with the idea that their dad should have a say and that it's so important that he does. Mm -hmm. And that if any boy wants them and doesn't have the courage to go ask their dad if it's okay, if he tries, mm -hmm. then they don't need him. It was fun because the, the, their expression and what they thought about that they'd never heard that before That's crazy. but it was something that they needed and they really wanted they didn't want to leave well it's fun to have somebody tell you you are valuable you are worth somebody taking the time to ask for your attention instead of i think our culture does more of a well you owe this person your attention because you're a pretty girl Right. Well, and I think our boys are being taught that if the, she doesn't do everything they want, then she's not worth it. Right. But that's ridiculous. Right. That's a hard thing to shift, though. Yeah, unless your parents grow you up that way. True. And so if you grow them, if you raise children, if you raise boys to respect and take care of and treat and how they should be and that they they need to go and talk to that dad first before there's anything so then how do we educate parents on how to educate their children we yell at them that will, that will work every time. <laughs> every time people love to be yelled at <laughs> yes they do yeah it's i don't know i'm glad we're on the same page oh yeah 11 years in <laughs> this is the david allen show special edition
Allen.com. S-E. This is the David Allen Show, S-E. S-E, special, <laughs> special edition. Special edition. <laughs> like the new iPhone. Deluxe edition. Ooh, D-E. Yeah, that sounds weird. I saw this um, uh, post by someone on the Facebook. Facebook. I think he's Canadian. His name is Jason Kristoff. Um, he says, I tell my daughter often that I did not bring her into this world so I could ship her off to college or university when she's 18. Not only is this concept traumatizing to children, abandonment, it proves completely futile in the overwhelming number of cases. We all see many adults today who work jobs that, they don't, that don't make them happy, and those adults are often addicted because of their unhappiness. Many are like that because they traded their freedom in for security. Ooh. There's more security in a lifelong job, but less freedom. There's more security being married, but less freedom. There's more security in going to school for years and years, but less freedom. Oddly enough, our happiness is tied directly to our freedom, not security. The better option is to work if you want to, not because you have to. And although that's a big dream, it's always good to have big dreams. <laughs> Unfortunately, our schooling system is absent of any reference to this dream. To think of a business or invention so large that you maintain a higher level of freedom for life. This is why I teach this to my daughter independently. People are conditioned to judge their success based on material items and income, despite the internal signals they receive that this is counterproductive to their internal satisfaction. They follow the herd without thinking independently about why the herd exists or why the herd operates as it does. These are important topics to ponder for any child. Our mission together, my daughter and I, is to open a business successful enough for her to maintain her freedom and creative spirit. She also understands that her health is the top priority because if you don't have health, you can't have any freedom and therefore happiness will be lacking as well. So freedom is happiness? Apparently. Okay. I just, uh, what I liked about this is the idea that it's probably not the best option to shove your kids out the door at 18 and it's, it's encouraged it's like that's what you have to do when you go to school you graduate high school oh where are you going where are you going to college when when do you leave <laughs> hurry get out yeah and that's, if you don't do that you're kind of oh yeah he's just going into work oh she's just gonna work she's gonna go to tech school oh she's just gonna mm, she's gonna take it some time off yes Maybe that's good. I don't think taking time off to just hang out is oh, no, no, a no. good idea. But yes, taking a year to figure out what who you, you are, who you are, what you want to do, maybe more independent of your parents. You know, you don't have to go into this other institute where, frankly, is terrifying. <laughs> College is kind of terrifying in some ways. Um, not the class part, the social aspect of it. Well, look, I failed at the class part too, so I'm not really one. To, <laughs> I'm not really one to talk. I made it a year, and and barely. But but yes, I don't think you have to go to college to succeed in life. 
I think that is a lie. I think you can go to college to succeed in life. I think there are people who do very well having a college education, and I'm glad that my doctor went to school. Um, but yes, there are so many options now, and there are so many jobs available for people who don't go to college, but maybe go to a tech school or maybe um, train under someone in, in the old-fashioned apprenticing type situation or um, start a new business and jump in. You know, we we are very entrepreneurial. We had family that was extremely supportive of our of our Crazy. dreams. And we couldn't have done it without that family. So that's awesome. But how great it's would true. it be if our if our country supported entrepreneurial dreams more so and said, Yes, we think you should start this company and we think that we can support you for this amount of time, for this whatever. And instead of going to college and racking up a ton of debt, try this option. I don't know. Go serve somewhere. I know you're always saying we should. That is kind of my mantra. Send, for sure. Yep, send our kids somewhere to serve for a year so they right. know that the world is bigger than themselves and it's not quite so self-centered. And, mm -hmm. and see God work in a third world country where the spiritual realm is so much more prevalent and accepted and, um, and known. America, we can cover it up so much with all of our stuff fancy things because we can get anything we want even if we can't afford it we can still get it it's true that's why when you go to buy a car it's oh how much would your monthly payment like to be it's not can you afford this car it's how much do you want your monthly payment because we can get it there <laughs> you're paying on it for 15 years but we can get it there that's cool yep i think we've lost in our cultural society I don't know we've lost the this idea of self um, what's the word of actually like honing your personal skills like your character well yeah but the, or like even your working skills well, both I mean soft skills as you call them soft skills yes Phone voice. It's very phone important. voice. How you answer the phone. Customer service. Mm -hmm. How you order. How you As talk to people you don't know. Left the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that is lacking and be because everything is on some device. And I was listening to some guys the other day and um, apparently the <clears throat> our, our kids are becoming belligerent because of automated things like Siri and Alexa. Belligerent how? Well, if Siri gets it wrong, oh, Siri, you're so stupid. Do this for me. You know, it's like demanding and ridiculous to, I mean, to a voice of a person, even though it's a computer. Right. So but what you in their brains, at home right, comes out in real life. But in their brains, what happens when then they're on the phone with a real person and they don't get it right? And then they start yelling. Yeah. It would be nice if intra, intra or interpersonal skills were taught. Which one is it? Inter is your inside, correct? Intra, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Should we ask Siri? <laughs> <laughs> In the pursuit of becoming a better man, 
Becoming well-spoken is the task that should not be overlooked. This from The Art of Manliness. Oh. How you speak is a huge component of the impression you make on others. That is and very thus, true. your potential influence on them. That is very true. People will form judgments about your education, intelligence, background, and personality simply based on the sound of your voice and the language you use to express yourself. Very true. Being well-spoken encompasses a lot of traits. Creating well-formed sentences, being articulate, having a large and diverse vocabulary, speaking clearly, not mumbling, having a good pace, tone, and intonation, not too loud, fast, or monotone, being fluent, words come easily to you, being able to explain things easily, being straightforward and meaning what you say, being thoughtful and courteous to the needs of the listener, using little filler and empty language. Ooh. That's a challenge. Sometimes just shutting up is okay. <laughs> Silence isn't bad. True. We hope to cover all these traits eventually, but today we're going to concentrate on the last item on the list, removing the filler, particularly ums and uhs, from your speech. Um, I tend to do that more than I should. I think the new filler is so. So. So, um. So, um. So, um. What is a filler? Like. Like nothing you're doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's not filler word. It's right. Right. It feels very awkward. Filler consists of empty, extraneous language that pads your sentences without adding any additional meaning. It's like empty calories. It's there, but it doesn't nourish. Examples of fillers include words and phrases such as I mean, sort of, you know, well, and of course, like. Our it's children a personal do. favorite. But the most famous filler of all, the type that comes in for the most attention and disdain, are uh and um. Too, to many, ums and uhs are tantamount to, quote, verbal viruses. That clog up the language of the uncivilized and uneducated. Many public speaking experts recommend attempting to scrub your speech clean of this pesky padding. The truth is that almost everyone uses these filled pauses in their speech. If you don't think you do, it's because speakers, and listeners in many cases as well, are very bad at hearing them. Hmm. But if you were recorded throughout the day, you'd notice how much you sprinkle ums and uhs into your conversations. They are a very natural part of human speech and have likely been around since the beginning. Um, In friendly conversation, as long as your fillers aren't excessive and clustered together, people tend to filter them out and hardly notice them, if at all. Also, contrary to popular belief, fillers do not impede the listener's comprehension. In fact, they can aid comprehension, signaling to the listener that you misspoke and are about to edit something you just said. Or to pay attention to what you say next. This is not to say that you can't control your ums or uhs or should use them indiscriminately. Rather, that the issue is simple. Or simply not an all or nothing affair. The appropriateness of ums and uhs varies on a sliding scale, depending on your audience and your purpose. (laughs) Sounds complicated. Right. Why do we say um? The reasons behind our uhs and ums are in fact a lot more nuanced. Not to mention interesting. Here are some of the research-based theories that have been advanced. Ums and uhs indicate that the speaker is, quote, in trouble. Uh, did you do that? Um, 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 
I was just uh, nothing. <laughs> I've heard that a number nothing. of times today, even. Uh, nothing. Nothing. It's so funny. The little girl does that. <laughs> we walk around the corner. And she's doing something she's not supposed to, and she sees you. Nothing. 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 That's all she says. Nothing. <laughs> I'm gonna start doing that <laughs> when you walk in nothing. the room. Nothing. <laughs> Ums and us act as placeholders to let people know that you're not done. Hold on. Don't you talk yet. Don't talk. I'm not Don't finished. do it. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> us can be a cry for help. Ums and us are not identical. In addition to the former signaling a longer delay in a person's speech, us are used more often to solicit help from others. Like you can't remember a word. They let listeners know they can jump in and provide the answer. I went to the... Uh, Jack was supposed to email uh, uh, Stephen. <laughs> he was supposed to email Stephen. Ah, thanks. Yeah. Okay. Ums and us indicate that we're not as confident about what we're about to say. Ums and us indicate that you're searching for the right word. Ums and us are more common when you're speaking about an abstract topic. How about to minimize ums and, or how about how to minimize ums and us when speaking? Just don't say them. It's simple. <laughs> I, that, that was my, that was my, uh, brilliant, yeah. uh, editorial. Limit distractions. Put your hands in your pockets. Oh, no, don't put your hands in your pockets. Sorry. <laughs> Studies have found that when your arms and hands are constrained, the amount of filler you use goes up. Because oh, then I'm awesome because I talk <laughs> with my hands everywhere. <laughs> because you're unable to g- gesticulate. And thus are less confident your message is getting across. Across? Um, uh, across. Um, prepare rigorously. Oh. With rigor. Tell a story. Ums and us naturally vanish once you get involved in telling a story. And I have a found bonus, that to be true. Stories are some of the most persuasive and memorable rhetorical tools you can employ. Yeah, anecdotes are always good. Talk face-to-face if you can. Does this imply then that you go home and you practice some anecdotes? So you are prepared rigorous, rigorously? I think you have to, don't you? Or you should. That could be fun. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you see well. me, I will have a funny story to tell you. <laughs> oh, I do have a funny story, but it might not be as funny on the... On the voice. On the air. <laughs> Talk face-to-face if you can. Okay. The use of fillers goes up when you're talking on the phone because you don't have body language and facial expressions at your disposal. You struggle more in choosing the right words to convey, convey what you mean. Um, let's see. Um, uh, oh, a little vocal fry in there. Makes uh, you sound very intelligent. Much, much, much. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> this is awesome. I did hear from a uh, uh, <laughs> coach, like like a coach, um, a vocal uh, coach? Spe- speech coach. Yes, uh, you know someone that coaches like CEO, like in CEOs in presentations and such. Okay, that if you are going to, if you need to talk to someone imp- about important things, mm-hmm. it's worse. To do it face to face. Why? As far as physic, like physically, was oh, it opposite each other? Like nose to nose. Right. Because it's that's a more defensive position. 
because your bodies are going opposite each other. Oh, you're so, already in fighting position. Kinda. Dukes up. Yeah. So if you need to talk for real, serious about people to them, you, go you in for the stand side, side by side and you, it's better if you're moving, if you're walking. So what this lady got big companies to do is they have their meetings in a and walk. Like they go walk together to have a meeting. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I know. So I bet the meeting would be really the meetings go is short. short. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Especially in the winter. <laughs> meetings are short, hysterical. but they're very effective. Because when you're standing beside someone, you tend to be get in rhythm, she says, with them. Mm. So physically you're in a rhythm. Okay. And so you can you kind of sway together and you What's well, a friendly talk, and then you can communicate better. I like that. And it's interesting because some of the people that I know that I don't think communicate well. Mm-hmm. Are the kind of people that are in your face, like, like get right in your face to talk to you. Like mm-hmm. they have to be squared up against you. They, if you don't, they do. They turn their bodies to be square facing you. That's interesting. And so it's a, it's an interesting thing to to they look at. They didn't get that memo. No. So keep that in mind you'll when you're talking to, sh- to someone. You have to kindly share that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, you could actually hear me more if you would get sat beside me. Let's go for a walk. Just go for a side hug, <laughs> a friendly little side hug, and you can. <laughs> Very nicely hold them right, right next move. to you yes. while you yell at them. <laughs> That's funny. And that is um, your tip for the day. I like it. Week. For the week. Month. We're not doing this again tomorrow. Mm, whatever. Whatever. Okay, so speaking of social skills... Because these basically are social skills, right? Yeah. Ability to communicate with others and get your point across and attain jobs, do well in interviews, things like that, right? Communicate. Communicate. Um, in our, um. Um, so in our homeschooling life that we have here, I've often been asked... That's really neat, but uh, are your kids going to be socially acclimated <laughs> when they graduate? Are they going to, uh, basically, a nice be, way of basically. saying, I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> I'm a proud Midwesterner. I like to eat potatoes. Um, <laughs> I'm saying I'm a lot too now. Now I'm really self-conscious about this. <laughs> right. What was I saying? I'm so distracted now. Uh, homeschooled children. Oh, our weird being, children. Being yes. weird children. Socially awkward. Yes, yes, our weird children. Basically, as people trying to be to be nice about saying, aren't your children going to be gonna weird? Be bad. <laughs> You're going to be so odd. <laughs> and then I tell them that you were homeschooled. Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> I thought he was odd. No. <laughs> I think that the, the consensus is, oh, well, okay. He turned out. You, <laughs> Mostly. You, you might have a chance. <laughs> Mostly. But then I get in a group of school-age children. That are in the school system? In the school system. And none of them can communicate with me. (laughs) I will try to have conversation. I will try to ask questions that are related to their lives. I will try to... And this is not all. This is a generality. But there's a difference. I have um, a couple homeschool kids who who are not my own, who come in for my painting classes. Um... And one of them, who is nine... You'd never know it. She will call me up and say, hello, 
Would you, uh, could you tell me when the next painting class is? I would like to join you. <laughs> oh, well, yes, young lady, I would love to tell you. And then she'll come in and she'll take care of everything. She brings her own apron and she is ready to go and is a great student and has conversation. and, and The same one that remembered your birthday and brought you a birthday card and present. Yes, after <laughs> right, attending right. one of my classes. <laughs> And she um, includes the younger kids with it, with the class, and she talks to the older students, and she's really quite amazing. Now, this is probably, she's probably not the average child. She's, you know, down, she has a number of siblings, so she's one of the younger children and has a lot of older people around her. Um, but she's really quite fantastic. So I would hope by continue by watching her and and how her parents have helped to train her, help to mold her, help to encourage her in that. I would hope that we could do that with our children. Well, and knowing some of the adult siblings that she has, they are very well well spoken and behaved kind and, and very nice and very courteous, especially the very boys. Very courteous. Extremely courteous. It's really delightful. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that you can't have that if you send your kids to public school. No, no, but, but it's your, your job as a parent to do it. So I guess homeschooling aside, <laughs> parents, let's start parenting our our children on how to communicate with people other than their peer group. But see, in school, then no, they they can't because they have to. The peers have to socialize them. That's how they get socialized. Is in a group in the hallway at school. That's, <laughs> you know, I remember those groups, and I don't know. You know, I don't know that I learned a lot of good things. I learned a lot of things. I don't know that they were all good. <laughs> I did learn how to uh, deal with conflict on some levels. In a good way? No. Oh. But in a way, in some way. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I just think it's neat when you see kids who are um, able to communicate well, mm -hmm. better than so many adults. Yes. And on the phone, too. I I make our nine-year-old call and order pizza, or <laughs> uh -oh. he talks to his grandparents a lot, and is able to form sentences and thoughts <laughs> on the phone. Mostly. Generally <laughs> He's still speaking. working on... We're working on the stopping to listen back, but to, right. to listen to what the other person Communication's has. Communication's a two-way street. He over-communicates. Mm. Uh, <laughs> getting there he's nine <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is the david allen show se
This is the David Allen Show. You know what? This is episode 19. Wow. I can't believe that. It's crazy. Exciting. Episode 19 and David's not even here. (laughs) June 16, 2016. Ooh, it's 61616. Hey. So exciting. I'm so excited. Whatever. Uh, let's see if this what happens here. This video, see if it'll come through correctly. Nope. I don't think it is. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, no, that's not it. Well, there's two here. Really, is it the same thing? No. I can't hear either of yeah. them. Yeah, that's the same thing. How strange. Uh, Okay, I'll read it. Go ahead. John 14, 6. In the Bible. Okay. Thank you. says, Jesus said, come unto him, come unto me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is a quote apparently from the current Pope. Quote, There is no do-it-yourself in the church, no freelancers. How many times did we hear Pope Benedict describe the church as a we church? Sometime you may hear someone say, quote, I believe in God and Jesus, but the church, I don't care. How many times have we heard this? This is wrong. There are those who believe you can have a personal, direct, and immediate relationship with Jesus outside the communion and mediation of the church. These temptations are dangerous and harmful. They are, in the words of the great Pope Paul VI, absurd dichotomies. It's true that journeying together is challenging, and sometimes it can be tiring. It may be that brother or sister in the church makes us face a problem or scandalizes us, but the Lord entrusts his message of salvation to humans, all of us, as witnesses. And in our brothers and sisters, with their gifts and limits, who come to us and make themselves known. This means belonging to the church. 
Why is it dangerous to believe that? I don't know. I mean, what is the... Is the scare that then the church will fall apart? I mean, what is his purpose in this? I don't know. I wonder if something happened. I don't know. It's it's interesting to make a claim that you can't have a personal relationship with Jesus outside of the church. That's kind of a big deal. I, I think so. Kind of everything. So what is he... I, I wonder... I don't think this is new either. What does he say about the, the quote from scripture that you read before? I mean, that was I, in an article that... Right, but doesn't he... Do you think he reads... I would imagine he would read the Bible and has been trained. I would sure hope so, but every reference... This I don't think we're going to understand yeah, no. this. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful language, though. Um, um, I said um. You did. Got to stop that. All of the references were prior popes and not the Bible. Correct. To make his point. Do you remember when this pope said that? Do you remember when that pope? This really feels like law. Like a like the the judicial system in America, almost everything. Yeah, they look at the law for a second, but then they go back and say, "Well, but see, this other judge well, interpreted it that precedent. way." And so right. now we have precedent. So it feels like these popes are setting precedent, and so the next generation of pope is supposed to look back and based on what they said. So over the years, doesn't that just get corrupted and mixed? It's like it's like telephone. <laughs> you know, you're talking to us. You know. Your yeah. friend's ear, and then yeah. by the time it gets around the room, it's different. Right. Yeah. I think as Christians, we are supposed to always refer back to the Bible, always refer back to the Word to maintain that truth. And then even even in referring back to that, to then go back to the Greek meaning of the Word or you know, go back to the original script and meanings of words to make sure that we are interpreting it correctly. So if you don't even, you know, if you, if you look at somebody's interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation and never go back to the original, mm -hmm. yeah, it is like telephone. But the, I mean, the popes, they spoke Latin okay. back in the day. Yeah. And so the, the people, I mean, wasn't that the inquisition? Wasn't that the whole point of that? The, the Bibles were being distributed to the people. And that was absurd. So then the church just killed them. You had a Bible. You what? Right. You're reading the Bible. We'll burn you at the your stake. Priest is supposed to interpret that for you. Right. The yeah. this this person. I don't know why that. I don't. This person says traditional Catholic teaching stresses that the ordinary man or woman cannot understand the Bible without the supervision or mediation of a Catholic priest. Right. In this latest heavy-handed move, talking about this Pope, he takes it a step further by saying that you can't even hope to have a personal relationship with Jesus without the guidance and mediation of the church. That's really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I might ask some of my Catholic friends what they think about that to see if it's a... And this is not, like, brand new from him. This was actually a okay. year and a half ago. Oh. So this isn't, like, breaking news. I mean, I, I've just run across it, but it's been out there for a bit 
This pope is interesting because he's very much a pope Liberal. of the people and wants to be right in it. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of things that are very Christ-like in his, you know, wanting to be with with people and wash the feet of people and do all, you know, be really involved personally, which I think is really great, but he also has some very interesting <laughs> non-biblical points of view. I don't understand that. We'll have to do some more research. This National Catholic Reporter dot org or ncronline.org uh christians are not made in a laboratory but in a community called the church pope francis said at his weekly general audience so this was uh 2014 wednesday pope francis continued his series of audience talks about the church telling an estimated 33,000 people that were there there is no such thing as a do-it-yourself christian or free agent when it comes to faith Every Christian, he said, can trace his or her faith back to parents, grandparents, teachers, or friends. I always remember the nun who taught me catechism. This is a quote. I know she's in heaven because she was a holy woman. He said. In the Old Testament, the Pope said, God called Abraham and began to form a people that would become a blessing to the world. Quote, with great patience, and God has a lot of it, he prepared the people of the ancient covenant and in Jesus Christ cons- constituted them as a sign and instrument of the union of humanity with God and unity with one another. Pope Francis described as dangerous the temptation to believe that one can have a, quote, personal, direct, immediate relationship with Jesus without communion with a mediation of the church. Obviously, he said, it is not always easy to walk the path of faith with other people. Sometimes it's tiring. It can happen that a brother or sister creates problems for us or scandalizes us, but the Lord entrusts his message of salvation to human beings to witness. Well, yes, community is very important. It is through our brothers and sisters, with their gifts and their limits, the Pope said, that he comes to us and makes himself known. This is what belonging to the church means. Remember, being Christian means belonging to the church. If your first name is Christian, your last name is member of the church. That's a quote. (laughs) At the end of his talk, the Pope asked people to join him in praying that they would never, quote, give in to the temptation of thinking you can do without others, without the church, that you can save yourself, of thinking you can be a laboratory Christian. Christians say, he said, are not manufactured in isolation, but belong to a long line of believers who handed on the faith and challenged one another to live it fully. Hmm. I would hope that his point is it is important to build community around yourself because it is important to have like-minded people to encourage you and to challenge you and and to be that sharpening agent as well but not not at the cost of not being able to have that hope of coming to Christ yourself. I know. You have to have that. That's so is this just a fear-mongering tactic to keep people within the, the confines of the church, to keep them from thinking? I don't know. The church has a history of... Control. Having lots of problems. <laughs> lots of problems. Doing things that are fear-mongering and controlling and horrible. 
but God is above that. I mean, just because people are so imperfect and this really imperfect thing represents a perfect God. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate that we are so imperfect and we are all that represents. It's crazy. I don't know what else to say about that. If he is saying that your faith is passed down, Christians are not manufactured but belong to a long line of believers who handed on the faith. So that means that you are, he's claiming that you are Christian, saved apparently because so. Because of your community, not because of your belief in Jesus Christ. And yes, so that means that God has, like, aren't we all God's children? Mm-hmm. Not grandchildren. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. There is a lack of people attending church. Because they've been so abused by the church. And so I'm sure there's some sort of, I mean, there's some level of how do we get people to stay? Probably in every denomination. But I think scaring people is not the way to do it. Loving people is the way to do it. But but loving people... And also I mean, pointing them in the direction of that Jesus Christ is the way, is the truth. That your hope is in him. Your hope can't be in yourself because yourself is always going to let you down. It's just like putting all of your hope in your spouse and expecting them to fulfill your every need. It's just not going to happen. Does accepting a sinful lifestyle and and affirming that does is that the best way to show Christ's love? I think as Christians we like to pick and choose the sins we like to talk about. Okay. And we will show amazing love to people. We're like, eh, I can live with that. And then we will be so eager to point out the sin of other, other groups. I don't think that you should champion things that you don't think are right, that are not biblically. Even if it feels good? Even if the emotion is right? I think you can love someone in spite of their sin. Because we are all sinners. And if you love anyone, you love a sinner. So I don't think standing on this 
platform of oh I love you what you're doing is really wrong but I love you that kind of attitude is not genuine doesn't feel genuine I don't feel like somebody loves me if they're if they're their way of loving me is to say you know I love you I don't agree with anything that you do I don't really want to talk to you or be in a relationship with you of any kind, but I love you because I'm supposed to have a good day. I think that we can easily fall into that. I don't think that you have to say, I don't think that you have to applaud and encourage and, and affirm things that people are doing that are not okay or that are not biblical but you can be in relationship with them and you can love them and you can show them who Christ is through your actions I think it's very very hard to do the word affirm is a verb one definition says state as a fact assert strongly and publicly Another definition is offer someone emotional support or encouragement. Give a heightened sense of value, typically through the experience of something emotionally or spiritually uplifting. So we throw that word affirm around. And recently, a pastor that I know put out a letter to the congregation that they serve at now. It's not here anymore. And, well, I'm going to read it because I just, for the past two days, I've this is on Monday, Monday, Tuesday. For the past two days, I've struggled to know what to say. The pain of such an atrocious and heinous act of violence perpetrated against um, this LGBTQ Innocence has left me stunned and at a loss for words. This was after the shooting in Orlando that we haven't talked about, but the mass shooting in a club in Orlando on Sunday. In some regards, I've wondered, as a white heterosexual cis male, if I should have any voice in this discussion at all, as people like me too often have all the voice in this world, but as one who has been called to encourage and lead God's people and be a prophetic witness in this world, I'm choosing to speak, hoping that my words cast more than light, more light than heat, cause more good than harm. He goes on to say he had an older sibling who self-identified as queer uh, and came out to him when he was in high school. Uh, so over the past 25 years, he's heard countless stories of violence toward uh, the sibling and others like them. The past This past Sunday he writes, was the latest in a long and frequent history of violence perpetrated against uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people. And I'm afraid I've been complicit, he says, in the violence. I continue to serve in a denomination that by its policies makes LGBTQ people less than. And I don't know what that policy says, so I don't know what, how that, what the reference is. But by not fully affirming who people are, so let's go back 
the first definition of affirm was state as a fact and assert strongly. So this denomination he's in does not assert as fact who these people are. I continue to serve in a denomination. By not fully affirming who people are and who God created them to be. We make them less than fully human. Not unlike the struggles of abolition or suffrage of yesteryear. And until we fully affirm the wholeness of individuals, we, be, we continue to foster a culture that is okay with violence toward them because they are perceived as less than. And this is wrong. And I would agree if we are looking at them as they are not human like we are, that's true. He's right. Right. It is not okay to be violent toward other people. Well, it, yeah. <clears throat> but so what do we do from here? We can offer our thoughts and prayers for all those impacted, but the Bible is very clear, he says, that thoughts and prayers without action is dead. James 2.14. Now let's go read James 2.14. In the National Internet, New International Version, uh, the verse alone, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Um, um, let's go up a little bit. The, the beginning of that verse. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised? Those He promised those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you, and they are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And now we're at 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Verse 15. Suppose our brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. 
Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? But see, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. He, he continues... Our thoughts and prayers must lead to action. We as people of the cross are called to cast our lot with those who suffer, with those who are denigrated, with those who grieve and mourn. If we are to call ourselves followers of Jesus, then perhaps this is the moment we must decide. Will we, he references the church, he belongs to, throw open our doors and arms, changing our policies and practices, welcoming and affirming our LGBTQ siblings in fullness with rites of marriage and ordination? offering them the grace and love of God that has been freely offered to each of us? Or will we turn a blind eye to such violence and continue to deny full personhood to them? I'm not sure. I don't know. It seems that from what this says, that in order to love and to to acknowledge that people are actually valuable to God, no matter what they what sin they're in, that we have to acknowledge, celebrate their lifestyle regardless of the truth and so if we affirm with marriage and ordination of a someone that lives a lifestyle that's a sin lesbian gay bisexual marriage that doesn't make sense it doesn't it goes counter to what marriage is if we as the church do that how can we then not affirm and accept and bring in an alcoholic a drug addict why can we not have that person because I mean they're why can't we give them are we denying their personhood by not affirming them in their belief in their thought in their sin I don't know just like the the Guy and the girl living together before marriage. Do we then bring that in? Do we accept that and make that just normal? And so these people that are living together and unmarried, living in sin, do they then get to be ordained and be pastors and leaders in our church and kind of run the show? Do they get to be examples to our kids? 
I think if you start with one, you can't not do the other. Right. And be honest about it. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's such an emotional topic. And I think that's it. Is that it? because it's an emotional topic, it's easy to fall into the emotional side of it and to use emotion to overrule and override the truth. And I'm not saying that we go on saying that sins are, you know, the sins that we are okay with are still good. Those are fine. But this one we don't like. I'm saying all of them. And so we shouldn't exclude that one because our society says that it's not sin anymore. Our society says it's normal that we just need to do it. The truth isn't emotional. We are as people. Right. But we need to somehow separate ourselves and especially the people that lead the church, the people that that are the 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 gatekeepers, the shepherd of our of our churches and and the the unsaved and the lost and the new believers, we need to be able to to separate that and have compassion for people and love them where they're at, but not condone and acknowledge and, and accept and um, champion and celebrate their sin. If that's the case, why do we bother? Let's not even go to church. Let's make it a club. Forget, put the Bible away because it doesn't matter. Let's just make it a country club that we all get together and drink or party or play music or I don't know. Some people, that's what where it the is. Where the church is right. gone. It's more of an activity than a... Oh, a reverent thing. Someone commented on that post. I have a nephew that's gay. I love him no matter what. He too has endured many travesties and humiliations. God bless your words. Let the heart of God be heard in every word. I don't think we the can just... The heart of God is love. And right. in that, he is right to want to love this community. Right. To then say... I just... If you're in that place, I just don't know that... I don't know. A response by um, current leaders locally in that denomination. I appreciate your willingness to share your heartfelt thoughts, knowing full well where our denomination stands. To others, we have commented. To others who have commented, I would like to point out that regardless of a person's theological stance, most, not all, but most, Christians, including those who are the claim, who claim a more conservative perspective, love all people and do not condemn anyone based on sexual orientation or gender or race or fill in the blank. Now, I know to some this may be a strange response, but the underlying issue revolves around one question. What is truth? I desire to see a day when we can all come together as brothers and sisters in Christ with some sense of agreement as to what truth really is on this unfortunate hot topic. It's often quoted that according to WHO, the World Health Organization, 80% of the world's population lives in poverty. We have approximately 25,000 children dying each day due to malnutrition-related deaths. Millions of people in the U.S. do not have adequate health care. I could go on and on and on. I really appreciate that that was the initial response is great. But let's, let's get back to truth. Emotion aside, truth. 
the when Jesus saw the woman that was in the caught in adultery, they drug her to him to see what he would do. They were going to stone her. That's the law. That's what happened. You find a woman in adultery in the Bible, that she got to be stoned. It doesn't make sense to our culture or our society, and so we look at that and go, "Holy cow! How can we do that?" That was culture. It's fine. That's their society. But Jesus didn't say, "You bad guys, you stop, and you woman keep doing it." You know, he right. didn't stop her death and then tell her to keep being a. a it, what you're doing is okay. Right, right. To stay in adultery, he said, "You guys have no right to kill her." And then he looked at her and said, "Where's your accuser?" Right. Well, I don't. There's no one there to do it. Then, then go and don't do it again. And I think that is the key is there's one thing to accept someone in their sin, but then not to build them up in that sin to say, yes, come to Jesus. That's what we do. Jesus would not say to any LGBTQ, whatever person, come to me and then keep doing what you're doing. Right. Repentance is turning around and going the other way. Right. It's changing your lifestyle. It's not continuing in the sin you're in. So I really appreciate that the current leadership in that church, at least in this one instance, Comment. has the question about truth. Mm-hmm. But truth is is not emotional. It can't be. It's hard, though. We're very emotional yeah. people. It's a hard topic. It makes me sad. It it does. I, I agree. Because I think so many people are hurting over this particular thing. If I'm driving down the road and I get to a bridge that's gone, washed out, okay. or around the corner, can't see it, and I, I happen to get there and I, I see that, I stop. If I love people, I'm not going to let them fly by me and run off the bridge. That's not love. Yeah, you know, yeah, go. You're you're in that car. You're doing good. You're a great driver. Go get them. What what love would be is me going there and standing in the road in front of them and stopping them. Wave your hands, flag them down. Don't don't go around the corner. You can't make it. You're going to die. This is the David Allen Show.
This is the David Allen Show. We're coming alive in the river. <laughs> oh, Jesus culture for you. Well, got that little preach out of us. <laughs> I just, truth is truth. And that's, I think if we stand on truth, there's always, it, it, it can never fail. Now, we will quite possibly get demonized and potentially um, persecuted and killed for it. And that is extremely unfortunate. But what, did, what does the Bible say? To be dead is to be with him. To die is, is gain. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is the David Allen Show. The special edition with my beautiful wife. <laughs> David decided to leave us, so we, uh, we, the show must go on. <laughs> this is my first Thursday in 19 weeks to not be home with the, with the kids. That's crazy. It's kind of exciting. It's almost like a date, a public date. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> with no dinner. <laughs> right. Oh, so yeah. sad. Well, this is good. At the end of the first quarter, the Cavaliers were up 31 to 11. Now it's a little closer. We have three seconds left in the first half, and it is Cleveland 59, uh, Golden State 43. Oh, that's Still cool. not good, but, but very doable. It makes for an exciting game, right? Mm -hmm. Who do you want to win? Uh, I'm, I, I'm a Steve, Steph Curry fan. Mm. I want the Warriors to win, mainly because I just think Le LeBron James looks like he has a chip on his shoulder all the time. Whether he does or not, his appearance puts it out there, and well, I don't like it. Maybe his resting face is just angry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My thinking face is not very friendly. Oh, is that what that is? You <laughs> used to love me. <laughs> I do think it's kind of crazy, though. There are 82 games in the NBA regular season. Okay. Every team plays 82 games. I know you really care about this, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm enthralled. Tell me more. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm thinking uh -huh. about right now. <laughs> uh, Cleveland's record is 57 wins, 25 losses for That's the season. That's pretty good. Golden State's record, 73 wins, nine losses. That's a lot better. I yeah, I think they have. Or I believe they now have the record for best season ever. I think ever. In I the history so. of the game. In the history NBA. of the game. I think so. Wow. It's nuts, yeah. I think they went off, was it 50 or some 50-some game win streak? Just a lot of games to not lose. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So they are by far the the best team in the league. And so I, I want them to win. They won the championship last year, and I didn't care back then. But oh. this year it's really fun to watch. You don't like the underdog? No. I um, <laughs> the, If you go for the winner, and this is a theme on our show, Oh, um, on my show anyway, <laughs> <laughs> not mine. <laughs> the uh, uh, because David really loves sports. It's his thing. He loves basketball, football, everything. Yeah, really, <laughs> kind of surprises me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> sarcasm, a little deep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we talk about sports. Just yeah, and he's just smiles and nods. Okay, I'll join him. <laughs> 
awesome. I was huge into basketball as a kid. I did know the that late eighties, early nineties. Huge. Is that because I played all the time too? Okay, I liked it. I would. I'm, I'm short. It's unfortunate. <laughs> You didn't quite get to basketball height. <laughs> no, but, but I could right. shoot. And that's what's fun about the current NBA, at mm-hmm. least this this series. Everyone shoots from like 20-some, th- half court matter. almost. Be They're the just throwing short guy. Well, yeah. But I was always, I always looked at the, there was a guy called Muggsy Bogues. He was five foot three. No way. Pro. Yeah. He could dunk the ball. It was phenomenal. It was crazy. He was just a little guy and it was fun. Like he was. Well, go him. Abnormal, <clears throat> but you know, six footers are short. Right. Steph Curry is six three, I think. No way, because mm-hmm. he looks short. Yeah, LeBron James is six nine or ten, I think. Awesome. And he, you know, he's he's as tall as one of our one of my designers here. Good but height. Twice as big, probably. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> but basketball, it's been fun this series. So uh, halftime. Is fifty nine forty three. Awesome. So far. Well, next week. <coughs> Sorry. What the rock is cooking. Yep. <laughs> uh, next week on the David Allen Show, we will be back Talk. with David. He should be back, and it's at show twenty. Something show special 20. happening. Uh, you never know. <laughs> Will it be the cooking show? Good times. No. <laughs> we thought about doing a remote from Tokyo, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> I don't mean Japan. <laughs> you never know. This is the David Allen Show. Thanks for sticking with us this crazy special edition. <laughs> Thank you for uh, sitting in, being a voice of reason. My pleasure. Thanks for <laughs> inviting me. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, next week, we'll be back uh, around the same time on Thursday, the 23rd, I believe. Show 20, the David Allen Show. We are at on the interweb at davidallenshow.com. You can find us on iTunes. David Allen Show. We're on Facebook at David Allen Show. Send us a message if you have a, uh, an email you want to send. You got something weird you want to tell us, or if you want to send us a little like some cash, uh, David Allen Show at gmail.com Can Always support the show. If you get value Ooh. out of the show, give us some value. That's right. In the model Feed of the babies. <laughs> in the model of uh, the value for value model of Adam Curry and Tom Merritt, JCD. And others. If you find value in this show, give us a little value back. Either by straight up cash or telling someone about it. DavidAllenShow.com. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, thanks. Any last words? Nope. Nope. <laughs> have a have wonderful a, night. Have a good night. <laughs>